Hey, it's Aaron, and this is 31 Nights of Scary Shit. Hey, friends. I'm back. Sorry it's been so long, but it has been a crazy couple of weeks. So I am officially a masshole, and I mean that in the best way possible. So after about a month of trying to register my car in the great state of Massachusetts, I was finally successful. Of all the nightmares I've had in my life, none compared to the nightmare that is the registry of motor vehicles. At least the RMV that's closest to where I live. Not even remotely helpful there. Quite mean, actually. But thanks to the very helpful people at the RMV in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which is two and a half hours away from where I live, like practically in New York, I now am legal to drive my car in Massachusetts. So no sense me getting into that long and very drawn out story. But let's just say I am not in any hurry to go about registering my car in the near future. So thank goodness. So um, in episode 130, I talked about the Freetown Fall River Forest, and I only lightly touched on the murders that occurred there. And now that I have my bearings a bit more, I'm back in full-on research mode. So I felt it was important to talk about the murders that took place back in 1979 and 1980 um, amidst the whole satanic panic movement. I don't know so much uh, that it was a movement, but it was a, you know, an error um, probably had a lot to do with the Charles Manson murders where people just kind of lost their minds. Um, There was this fear of teenagers Mostly, I would say teenagers, parents being fearful of their teenagers getting involved in the practice of evil. Um, So I just think that probably after, you know, the Manson murders and, you know, the, the, the whole notion that, you know, young people could be so susceptible to a dangerous mastermind um, cult leader like that, I think it might have just changed um, a lot of things, I guess. Um, and I'm speaking as a person who, you know, I was, it was before my time, but, um, and I can remember being, cause I was in grade school back in the early eighties and I can remember hearing things, you know, like cults are stealing children with blonde hair and blue eyes and those kinds of things. And I could even recall sort of in my own life at times seeing parents that maybe were being, you know, overly protective or, um, well, maybe they weren't being overly protective, but I do remember hearing things very young about um, the fear that there were people in cults that were going around snatching children and doing uh, crazy things in the woods, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I didn't really think much about it, you know, being a kid, but now I can kind of understand uh, where that was coming from. So I'm going to be talking about, oh, God, the story is just a mix of crazy, terrifying, sad, um, sad for many of the people involved in this story. Um, and I'm not really quite sure what my conclusion is at this point of who the guilty parties are or, or what their involvement was a hundred percent. Um, but at any rate, I'm going to dive into it. So where am I? Oh, um, okay. In the 1960s, 70s, and early 80s, drug addiction rates among juvenile females increased six six times more than those of men, Uh, and they often turned to sex work to support their habit. 
All right. And that was a direct quote. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually not as, uh, up to speed on my research here as uh but i that's a direct quote from an article that's referring to again what i what i was saying about the satanic panic um fall river massachusetts was hit particularly hard by the recession in the late 70s factories disappeared crime increased in the city um and it seemed to be a hub of young girls getting involved in sex work um teenage girls um so that's a big part of this story on October 13, 1979, the nude body of 17-year-old Doreen Levesque was discovered behind the Diamond Vocational High School in Fall River, Massachusetts. Unofficially, she became known as the girl behind the bleachers. Doreen was reported as a runaway from a foster home in New Bedford, and she was involved in sex work. Doreen's wrists were tied with fishing line. She suffered multiple stab wounds to her head, and it appeared she had been brutally raped. And I'm not going to get into a trigger warning. This is really graphic. And I actually, some of the, the details I'm leaving out intentionally. There's there's no need to, you, you, can, you can get the drift. Um, but let's just say this was brutal. She was sexually brutalized, and I'm going to leave it at that. The medical examiner believed that the crime was committed by multiple people and that it was possible Doreen had been stoned to death. Now let that sink in. Okay. Stoned to death. Um, that's just, that's just crazy. A month later, a man named Andy Maltius reported his 22-year-old girlfriend, Barbara Raposa, as missing in Fall River. Maltius told police that he thought that his girlfriend's disappearance had to do with a group of local devil worshippers. Maltius had quite a rap sheet. He was a convicted pedophile, a sexual sadist, and a rapist. So, yeah, not a very good guy. But he had recently converted to Christianity, that's what they all say, from Satanism. If Sarah were here with me right now, we would both probably say, um, at the same time. So Maltius offered some disturbing information. He and his girlfriend were members of the local satanic cult, and Doreen Levesque was also a member of the cult. Maltius agreed to arrange a meeting between police and two other cult members, Karen Marsden, age 20, and Robin Murphy, age 17. Karen and Robin were, I guess, kind of in a relationship together, romantic relationship, and they lived together. Robin Murphy revealed that Maltius had been molesting her since she was 11. I know, and I need to pause here. Um, it, th this guy was just a grade A disgusting piece of shit, quite frankly. Um, after hours of questioning, Karen Marsden revealed that Carl Drew had killed Doreen Levesque. Carl Drew was 26 years old at the time, and he was known as a violent pimp in the Fall River and New Bedford area. Drew had run away from his father's farm in New Hampshire when he was 14 to escape his extreme abuse. The word on the street was that Carl Drew was dangerous. You didn't cross him or say no to him. According to Karen Marsden, Carl Drew had claimed that he was Satan himself and that he was taking sex workers into Freetown Forest for rituals and had threatened to, quote, inject battery acid into Karen Marsden's veins and offer her soul to Satan if she ever disobeyed him. So I want to note here, and I'm still not sure about this, you know, I'm not sure whether Carl Drew was saying that as just a way to maintain control, if he was really involved as a Satan worshiper, you know, was it just bravado? Was it a way to just kind of keep these girls in line? I really don't know. 
I'll get into this a little bit more because I watched the documentary um, and I'm just not really sure. I'm not really sure if he legit was actually involved in Satanism. And I'm also not even sure if that, if that was something he said to Karen Marsden. But, you know, it could have been a way for him to keep these girls in check. So back to the story. Uh, Carl Drew's prostitution ring was actually a satanic cult. He would, as I said, take sex workers into Freetown Forest, allegedly. Marsden would not offer any other information, even though she was offered witness protection. Now, you know, this girl, um, by all accounts, was absolutely terrified. Um, she would have meltdowns every time anyone tried to talk to her. She was terrified to be talking to anybody, um, you know, just so much so that um, it just seemed like, you know, she, she, I wouldn't want to call her mentally unstable, but, you know, her fear was causing her to almost behave irrationally and erratically. But as the story goes on, I wouldn't necessarily say she was paranoid because things did not turn out well for her at all. So um, basically, she said if she ended up dead, it would be because of Carl Drew. So I think you know where this is going. On January 26, 1980, Barbara Raposa's frozen body was discovered behind a factory. She had been raped and her skull had been crushed with a stone. Now remember these details, okay? Sexually brutalized and again with the stoning. Andy Maltius contacted the police, you're going to love this, and said he had had a vision of the time and manner of death and, and where Barbara was buried. And they were like, oh, okay, cool. Thanks for your help. No, they arrested him for her murder. He was actually convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison for Barbara Raposa's murder. Um, and he actually died in prison. I'll, I'll circle back to this. Okay, so Maltius was convicted of Barbara Raposa's murder. So it starts to get really complicated. Robin Murphy comes forward and says she witnessed Doreen Levesque's murder and that she would testify against Maltius in both cases if she was granted immunity. Murphy testified Maltius raped and killed Barbara out of jealousy and, quote, left her to crawl away into the woods. And then he and Robin Murphy drove off. Okay, so she's claiming she was there. She witnessed Maltius doing this. Okay. Um, two months later, a human skull, a skull, was found near Devon Pond in Westport, Massachusetts. And it was the skull of poor Karen Marsden. Hmm, she was right. She did end up dead. A local sex worker named Carol Fletcher, also a member of this alleged cult, came forward and claimed that Carl Drew and Robin Murphy were responsible. And when Murphy was questioned about Karen Marsden's murder, she told this horrifying story. The cult killed every 30 days or so based on the full moon. And she described a ritual in which the group spoke in tongues, conjured demons, and offered sacrifices to Satan. I hate that I just enunciated that way. It reminds me of Richard Ramirez. I'm not sure. I was watching old episodes of American Horror Story, so sorry. In order to achieve, quote, the most potent sacrifice, they would force the victim to maximum state of arousal. That, that's a direct quote. So I guess that means horrific torture. Robin Murphy admitted she participated in the murder, and she gave grisly details such as Karen's hair and fingernails were ripped out, she was beheaded, and her head was kicked around like a football. So, like, after her, after she was decapitated, it's like they played a, played a game with her head, kicking it around in the woods. I tried not to imagine this, but um, I haven't been able to get it out of my head since reading it. Truly horrifying. 
Murphy pled guilty to second degree murder. Um, and receive life with the possibility of parole in exchange for testifying against Carl Drew. Now, I want to mention that Carl Drew and Robin Murphy did not get along, okay? And a lot of that had to do with they were in competition with each other. So Robin Murphy was actually, she was only 17 years old. She was very smart. She was very street smart. Um, and And she wasn't trying to get into being a sex worker and having a pimp. She was supposedly trying to be the pimp on the street. So it seems as if she and Carl Drew perhaps were in a bit of a competitive kind of a, you know, kind of nature. So um, she really hated him. Carl Drew, when you ask him, he makes it sound a little more casual, like, eh, you know, I just didn't want anything to do with her, but she really despised Carl Drew. Um, Anyway, back to the, the rest of this tale. So Carl Drew was tried for the murder of Karen Marsden in 1981, and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. No one was ever tried for Doreen Levesque's murder. And this is really stupid because no one was actually tried for her murder, but yet they used the they used her murder to actually convict Carl Drew um, of the Karen Marsden murder. So it's like uh, to me, that makes no sense at all. That just seems, quite frankly, it seems unethical. Um, so that whole thing there just doesn't make any sense to me. So no justice at all for for Doreen. Um, I'm not, and I'm not even really sure for Karen. Um, you know, after watching this documentary. But anyway, Robin Murphy recanted her claims in 1985, and she said that she concocted this murder story. Carl Drew was always maintained his innocence. There was little forensic evidence, and the lead investigator, one of them, Paul Carey, had always felt there were inconsistencies in the case. So the documentary that came out called Fall River, it streamed on Epics in 2021, examines the reinvestigation of this case. Um, it featured interviews with Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, both uh, incarcerated, and uh, witnesses such as Carl Drew's girlfriend at the time, Leah Johnson, Karen Marsden's ex-boyfriend, and who was also the father of her young son, and a witness who was about five years old when Karen Marsden was murdered. This witness claimed that he saw Robin Murphy and two other men murdering Karen on the rooftop of of a building. Um, And get this, this is crazy, this boy, this witness who was about five years old when Karen Marsden was murdered, could possibly be Carl Drew's biological son. Now, Carl Drew isn't sure if if this boy is his son or not. He's like, ah, it might be possible, but he he's really not sure. But this boy, I think, is fairly convinced that Carl Drew was possibly his father. So, um, Carl Drew's currently at a medium uh, security prison in Shirley, Massachusetts, and I hope I'm not reporting that incorrectly. So that could have changed as of when I looked at this article, which I believe was some from 2020, 2021. That's where Carl Drew was incarcerated. Fall River producer and director James Buddy Day, who also produced, you might have seen some of these Lovers Lane murders, Manson, the, wi- the women, and the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell, believes in Carl Drew's innocence, at least in his innocence for murder. Day wrote Drew a letter, and Carl responded back. Day got in contact with Drew's old girlfriend, Leah Johnson, who had files on the case. So Day poured through boxes of files and cassette tapes, uh, interviews with witnesses, and he concluded after reviewing the case files that Carl Drew had 
been wrongly um, convicted of murder. And I don't know about all that. I mean, I, I really don't. After watching the documentary, I can see how there are many unanswered questions. Um, Robin Murphy was a problematic witness because she was was known to be a liar. Um, other witnesses were addicts and they weren't seen as credible. It doesn't mean they weren't telling the truth, but let's face it. You know, you've got addicts who are living in the streets and people are inclined to not look at them as as being reliable. I'm not saying that they weren't, but that's that's the attitude. So it's a case where you just aren't sure who to believe. There's a lot of different stories floating around. So I think most of those stories are coming from fear. Um, I think people involved that knew things were, were just, they were petrified. Um, Carl Drew, in my opinion, definitely a thug who exploited young girls. And I think he downplayed the fact that he was, you know, when you, when you see him interviewed in prison, he does come across as pretty docile, you know, but he's been in prison for 41 years almost. And, you know, prison may have mellowed him. He doesn't, he doesn't seem, you know, as, um, as terrifying as he, as he was made out to be as a young man, but you know, who knows? I think he downplayed, you know, I think he tried to make him sound a a bit better than he actually was as well. Um, so in the end, there wasn't any forensic evidence linking him directly to anybody's murder. What it was, was the word of Robin Murphy and some other people who may or may not have been telling the truth. Um, Robin Murphy said she lied in 1985. She's always made, since then she has maintained that she concocted a story. Here's another messed up thing. So in the documentary, a private investigator named Chris Hayes makes a compelling argument that Andy Maltius, the guy convicted of killing Barbara Raposa, is probably the same person who married Doreen Levesque. Did I say married? Murdered Doreen Levesque. Um, He also points out the similarities of the two murders, uh, the way they were found, the way they were sexually brutalized, the fact that they were bashed in the head with stones, and how improbable it was that two different murderers would both confess their crimes to Robin Murphy. So that's another thing. Robin Murphy supposedly, um, you know, she she knows that what Carl Drew did and, and Andy Maltius is confessing to her or getting her involved with what he did. It does seem pretty unlikely that two different people who murdered people would clue her in, you know? I mean, it's not impossible, but it does seem kind of fishy that that would be true. As for Robin Murphy, she confessed to participating in the murder of her girlfriend, Karen Marsden. Even though Robin has since admitted she lied about Carl Drew because she hated him and wanted him off the street, it didn't make any difference to law enforcement or the judicial system. Murphy also claimed that investigators told her to stick to her story about Drew. So even though she said she lied, they said, Apparently, allegedly, they said, so what? Stick to it. That's problematic. I mean, that's just downright, I mean, it's unethical. It's wrong. So um, she also was promised that she was going to be paroled, I believe, in 12 years. That's never happened. She has not been paroled. Um, No, and Carl Drew has not received a new trial. So if there really wasn't evidence linking him directly and a person who came back and said she lied, that that she didn't actually know that he did it, I would think perhaps that might warrant a new trial. I don't know. I'm not sticking up for him, but I do agree that there are questions that are not, that are not hundred percent answered. Um, kind of seems to me that even if they were or are innocent of murder, they were doomed to stay in prison regardless. Uh, the most important thing to remember is of course the three murdered women. These were teenage girls who did not have protection or supporting caring, you know, supportive caring adults in their lives. They were vulnerable. They were taken advantage of. 
Um, even Robin Murphy, you know, she's a victim. Um, she was raped as a child. She didn't know anything but trauma and violence in her life. And the odds were that she was most likely not going to become a well-adjusted and productive member of society. So again, I'm not defending people of, of crimes, but you know, if you're not set up for success and then you have the systems that are supposed to be in place to protect against you, I don't see how it's going to turn out well. So all in all, you know, Andy Maltius was convicted of Barbara Raposa's murder, but Doreen Levesque, there was no one convicted of her murder. He may have killed her. Um, and Carl Drew and Robin Murphy went to prison for Karen Marston's murder. So, and, and that's up in the air, whether or not that one of them did it and the other one did not. You know, again, we don't know what the involvement is for sure. Um, of course, when investigators and prosecutors are, are interviewed, of course, they're going to stand by what they said, right? Because who wants to come out and admit they either made a mistake or quite frankly lied. So um, interesting story. I think a, a sad story. Um, really, truly, um, you know, these were just girls. These were these were teenage girls. They should have been, you know, in school doing things that teenagers do. Um, you know, in Fall River, now that I've been living in Massachusetts, I've been to Fall River a couple of different times. And of course, what's Fall River famous for? Lizzie Borden House, you know. So the Fall River um, suffered, you know, from, like I said, it was a town that um, the crime skyrocketed, you know, uh, due to recession. Um, and it just opened up this window of opportunity for, for these, um, young vulnerable girls, you know, to just end up in the street and, and many of them ended up dead. So, um, it's just really, it's awful. It's just really awful. Anyway, now that I've spread the joy <laughs> and you're welcome, um, if you're new to listening to 31 nights of scary shit, I'm really glad that you have found us. And um, if you haven't gotten around to doing it, doing this yet, go ahead and uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, 31 Nights of Scary Shit. And if you have an idea about something that you would like to hear covered on an episode, please drop an email to 31 Nights of Scary Shit at gmail.com. Or if you just want to say hi, uh, if you have a story about something special scary that happened to you or to somebody else. Heck, even if it's something that, you know, turned out to not really be scary, maybe it's scary with a funny ending, go ahead and send an email. I would love to be able to put together another episode where um, we share what uh, listeners tell us. So um, sorry that I have not been able to produce a new episode every single day in October. I really wanted to do it. But, you know, as I said, life has been a little bit crazy. Um, I relocated. I'm not going to keep you. I don't know how much longer I can keep using that as an excuse because actually I've got plenty of time on my hands right now. So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to get as many episodes out as I can um, in the next couple of days. I really want to come up with something special for Halloween. I don't know what that is yet. So if you have any ideas, I would love to hear about them. So until we meet again, friends, be sure that you stay spooky.